This is the Engaging Podcast. I'm Brandy Dalshall. In this episode, we hear from Ava Fujimoto Strait and Ross Guida from the Department of Environmental and Geosciences. They will talk about second stage exams. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having us. So you're going to tell me about second stage uh, exams. Tell me how this works. So the way this works, in we got this idea from reading literature about intro STEM classes, basically, and how we can improve student outcomes and retention of the material, especially related to an issue we have at SAM, which is DFQ rates, which we've talked about. It really helps students that are having trouble in, in science classes. But the way we do it, Ava and I are in Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes, which works really well for second stage exams because they can take their individual exam in one 50 minute period. And then in the next period, they usually group up among a few students. It probably depends on what classroom you're in, how many can get nearby each other, but usually like at least three or four of them together or more depending on, on the classroom. And then they take the same exam that they just took as an individual and they go through and actively try to find the answers using their notes and each other as resources. So instead of it being more passive of us just reading the answers after the fact, the students get a chance to improve their grades by actively searching out the answers. And the better notes they've taken and the, and the better they discuss things in group usually, the better overall the outcomes tend to be. Now, if you're doing this in like a Tuesday, Thursday class, you may do both exams in one period. Uh, you may, maybe you come up with a slightly shorter exam and they take 40 minutes to do their individual and you give them like 35 to do their group. I don't know what Ava's found in her classes, but they tend to zoom through the group exams pretty well most of the time. Uh, it's pretty rare for the groups to take the full 50 minute class period. Uh, a lot of them do finish in 35 to 40 minutes. So if you're hearing us say Monday, Wednesday, Friday, don't be discouraged if you have a Tuesday, Thursday, and you think you have to give up the whole week. I don't think that would be necessary to still implement it. Um, in order to get them to actually participate and, and do these things. And I did it in my online class too. I don't know if I'd ever do that again because their exam scores are so inflated, but I did give them the chance to do a second stage exam just as individuals. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, without getting into too many of their results and things, it, it definitely um, seems like it works better when they can facilitate discussion in person. And we make usually the individual exam is about 80% of the grade and the group exam is about 20%. Yeah. Of the All, exam grade. Yeah. Although with students and what we know with how they calculate weighted grades or lack thereof calculating weighted <laughs> grades, I think sometimes they think it's 50-50 and they get a false sense of security. It does help them. It does improve their grades overall when they do have these discussions and actively engage in the process. But um, yeah, some of them don't understand that it's yeah, weighted 75, 25 or 80, 20. So that there still is that level of individual accountability. So um, is during the first round when they're taking it individually, do they, do they use notes in that round or is it only the second round? No, the, the first round is all based on 
their individual exam, just like you would give most standard exams without notes, close book, close notes, and they have to take it as individuals. And so that's where their own accountability still comes in for the class. And then when they discuss things later to have the confidence, I think partially and encourage them to still take notes, uh, they get to use them amongst the group. And usually they can all fill in the gaps. Like not everybody will necessarily have everything, but among three or four of them, they usually do a pretty good job of finding the answer. So do you make the exam harder then, or is it kind of on par with an exam you would give in any other class? No. Well, because these are really large lecture hall classes, usually we have about 90 students in our class. Um, They're all multiple choice, mainly, maybe some, a couple short answer questions. So students tend to overthink multiple choice questions. So as well as we think we write the multiple choice questions, they overthink it. And so when they're in their groups and they're actually talking about each of the questions, we can walk around and we can hear how they were overthinking the question. And so, you know, I'm constantly saying to them, I'm not trying to trick you. Please just choose the best answer. And they still overthink it. And then when they realize that maybe by the second or third exam, they do better on that multiple choice setting. Yeah, they tend to. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say too, it's a lot of overthinking. And that's one interesting thing about the process and being able to hear them actually talk is some of the stuff that they discuss would not be questions. Like if I starred 10 questions on my exam that I thought were things they were going to have trouble with, there's a couple on there that they usually discuss, but some of the ones that are on there, are like, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, that the whole group kind of had issues with those. Is there anything else you'd like to add about that, Eva? I think it's really good because it's such a large lecture hall class. They usually come in, they sit in one seat and they never change their seat, you know, and that's where they sit the entire semester. A lot of them don't usually talk to each other. So by forcing them to do this second stage exam, I think they start making friends in the class, which is really good. Um, I always like to change up the groups every time, but they're always like, no, no, these are my friends. They know which ones, you know, score tend to score higher. And so they kind of build their own group dynamic um, as the semester goes on. And I think the the ones that are the stronger students in the class, I think it does help them to actually teach in a small group setting. Um, it organizes the information for them and uh, they learn it better. The students listening to them learn it better. This is all way better than just going over the answers in class after the exam because everyone would just see what they got wrong and then they would forget. And we do give a cumulative final. And so it's important. And all these concepts tend to build through the semester. So it's important they understand it from the first exam on. Yeah. And I think, I think emphasizing the fact that they get to search for the correct answer is important because what I was finding when I was giving my exams in weather and climate was that when we get to the cumulative final, a lot of them would just pick what they remembered answering, whether it was the right answer or the wrong answer. And so by having the most recent attempt be the one that they took with the group and discuss with their classmates, I think it helps to emphasize what the right answer was instead of, oh, I remember this, this answer I remember on the objective question, and I'm just going to answer it again because I recognize it, but it has nothing to do with being correct or not. And so I think it helps a lot of them with, with some of the, the questions. I think, too, they become better note takers. I think they actually realize that we do test from materials that's on the PowerPoint and not 
trying to trick them or, or take a question that we didn't talk about or it, they don't visually see whether it's a, a picture or a graph or, or something, you know, it's, they connect everything. And, and I think that's important too, because a lot of our students, they're just taking this for their science core credit. And they come in with that mentality of, I'm not good at math or I'm not good at science. And I'm like, hey, this is weather and climate. You experience weather every day. You have no excuse to tell me you, you can't do this. And if you can add, subtract, multiply, and divide, you are good. You just need to, you know, just get rid of that, um, that fear that you can't do this and know that you can and then get them through it that way. Yeah, I think it gives them confidence even if, even if we're not going to change their major to something that's more STEM related, right? And they come in with that negative experience of, I hate science because I took this in high school, or I hate science because I had a hard time with, you know, calculating things in chemistry or whatever their, whatever their perception is coming in. I feel like by the end, like, especially by the time we get to the third exam, most of them are contributing something to the group discussion. The first one can be a little awkward, like group activities, right? Especially in a big class, but by the end, more of them, it feels like at least observing them, more of them are confident and at least contributing some things. They may not know as much as an A student in their group that is an environmental science major that loves science, but, you know, they're going to contribute something. Confidence is, uh, t just in my experience, like in calculus, I tell my calculus students that 90% of my job is convincing them that they can do calculus. So I'm particularly interested in the, the what you said, Ava, about um, overthinking because I, I feel like, and maybe this is also your experience in your classes, that students come in, like you said, with this idea that like, I can't do this thing. And so that's where the overthinking stems from. And so because they think they can't, then if they do it and they didn't have trouble with it, then it's like, oh, well, it couldn't have been right because it wasn't that hard for me. Is that, do you also have this experience? Yeah, we definitely see that. Um, I think too, when they were in high school, it was just so, you know, it was either biology or chemistry or physics, I think, or, you know, they're different math classes. I think when they're in weather and climate, they see how it all connects. You know, when we talk about, you know, evaporation or, or things of that sort or calculating relative humidity. It's very simple, you know, but now they can relate it to what they actually experience. And I, I, I think that's different than what they get in high school too. And so they come and suddenly everything is integrated and interdisciplinary. And I, and I think it, it's good for them. And hopefully it, it transfers over to their other classes as well. Yeah, I think there's a couple things like, I, it, it, there is the confidence issue. And I think it's something that maybe we don't talk about enough as the ones in front of the classrooms with PhDs or being seen as kind of like this, you know, yeah. this untouchable scientist or mathematician at the front of the room. Sometimes students have trouble connecting with that. And so I think some of it is like a classic imposter syndrome type thing. I'm not a science major. I'm not an engineering major. I'm not a math major. And therefore I can't participate in the same way, but yeah, in intro science classes, it really should be the opposite. Like it is a core science course. Every student in there should be able to do it, you know, and yeah, maybe not everybody winds up getting there, but there is a larger percentage. I think if you do things other than just, you know, 
individual exams and no active learning, you do pull out other things that you wouldn't otherwise observe. Just having a huge lecture class and just saying, oh, these kids can't do it because I gave them this and then I never asked them about it or heard more about what they were saying again. One thing good about the second stage exam is we're walking around as well when they're in their groups. And so normally when you're lecturing and having class, even if it is an active learning type activity, they're hesitant to talk to you. But when they're suddenly in a group, they all have their hands up. We have this question, you know, and asking the question together to me, I think slowly breaks down that barrier as well. And so they're not as shy in the future to ask questions in class. Yeah, it takes away that fear for sure. Because, I mean, you can see them in lecture sometimes and you can see the look on their faces sometimes, especially when you get to things like the calculations where you can see their wheels spinning and like, or some of them just see the numbers and immediately shut down. But when they hear from other classmates that have the exact same questions and issues, it gives them the confidence that they're not the only one. And yeah, it helps. So we've talked about confidence and um making friends, which are both important, is, are there other ways that you've seen students benefit from the second stage exam? I think just feeling more comfortable. Don't use this. Um, Ross, do you think of anything else? I think it, I mean, I think it's a different, I, I would classify it differently than confidence. I would say what I've observed seems to be students being more motivated and connected to the class itself. I think it's hard for students in non-major classes sometimes to even just keep their attendance up. But I feel like once they get through that first group exam, the dynamic of the class itself changes a good bit. And so they see, they might not love living. I still do lecture sometimes. Right. And so they might not love coming to those classes. Um, in fact, it makes it hard sometimes when they get used to being able to discuss for an entire 50 minute period. If you do go back to like, okay, we got to get some of these foundational concepts down before we have discussions later. And so sometimes I feel like the room is more drained for those days, but in general, throughout the rest of the course, I feel like they're more excited to just come because they've gotten to know the people around them and they've gotten to have discussions and they feel more engaged and connected to the class than just, all right, I'm showing up to sign this attendance sheet or whatever, whatever method people are using to get clicker points, right? Or right. those things. And they do also have labs. So there's a one credit lab attached to this lecture and those are all mixed up as well. And so they're in different labs. And so I think they just meet more friends and get to know each other. And so that's really nice. What that's, I mean, in a bigger class of 90, that's probably especially important, right? Because the it's so easy to just think that your professor doesn't know who you are. Mm -hmm. And so then if you're... I guess what I'm trying to say is it provides investment, like Ross just said, <laughs> for the students because they, you know, they might feel like you're going to notice if, versus if you never leave the front of the classroom. Right. And I've definitely used that time in the groups to learn names. I actually had 120 this past semester, and I wasn't sure how the second stage was going to work with 120 students, but it was great. It worked out really well. Uh, the first year that we started this, we did use the active learning classrooms in Farrington when we put them in groups. And so that was kind of nice. When we're stuck in like LDB 214, where the 
it doesn't move and it's staggered up. They just kind of have to group together in their pods and, and work on it. But it's nice. By the final exam, they all said to me, are we doing a second stage final exam? And I was like, no, you all have <laughs> mastered the second stage. You're good now. You can do it. You know. So yeah, that- during, I, this is a question I maybe should have asked earlier, but um, during the second stage, are they allowed to use any resource or is it only notes and I think we vary, but I let them use anything. So I even let them use their phones and try to use Google. And they see that instead of Google, their lecture notes and their notes from class and the PowerPoints are more important and beneficial. Sorry, Ross, go ahead. Yeah, I started with just trying to let them use handwritten notes. Um, But then there's other things in there that... (laughs) This speaks to maybe our education system more in general than anything about our classes or Sam. But um, I started letting them use anything because I started hearing debates about like where the oceans were and things that you would think most students would know coming in. And so I, I, I was like, just just look at just look it up. Just look it up, because if you don't know where this is, then it's hard to answer the next part of the question. Um, And so the notes help. But, yeah, if they're missing things that you maybe mistakenly assume are foundational things coming in, then the notes only go so far for more of the concept based stuff that we specifically touch on. But anything prior to that that you assume is base knowledge for a college student, I still want them to be able to find the right answer regardless of how they find it. And and I don't know what you found in yours, Ava, but I would say very few of them actually wind up like using their phones and stuff relative to just their own notes and classmates as resources. They will get stumped a few places sometimes, but I mean, it's not like they're Googling every single question on the exam. It, it's not, that's not what's happening. So. Yeah. That seems like when I'm doing research, right. I don't know everything. I know what I should know, right. There, there are things that I have to know, or it's going to slow me down if I have to look them up every time. And there are things that I know that it's okay to store in some external brain. And so this it, that part feels like to me a um, good training for what we as humans actually are doing with our lives. Yeah. Well, I think it. I think it's good too because they realize the way certain questions are written, they can't just type it into Google and find an easy answer right? If there's a way we talked about something or a more applied example we talked about in class that we want them to relate to a concept, they really have to have notes and talk that out with their classmates instead of like, you know, how many layers are there in the atmosphere or whatever, you know, whatever that you could look up. Yeah. Those are like um, good Google questions, but you know, you have to work harder for the, I feel like if your exam, if you can Google all your exam questions, then what are we really doing here? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So that, I guess that would be another benefit for your students, that they're kind of, you're training them to be humans in the world <laughs> um, in multiple ways. So uh, the next question is, how have your students reacted to the second stage exam? But you've touched on a bit, but they they love it. I mean, I, I don't know if I would use any other language. I mean, they they seem to love it. I mean, maybe you could pick out a couple that don't 
like it as much as others, but we do. I mean, I, in my classes, I do give the option, you know, if they, if they want to work on their own, if they don't think they're going to benefit from the group, they can do that. But most of them realize quickly after the first one, that that's probably not the best way to go about it. Um, in, in the idea scores and the qualitative comments, there's several, I mean, we've been doing this for what, three or four semesters, three, three for sure. But, um, like this, this semester, they wrote a lot of qualitative comments and in a couple of them wrote like, we love the second stage exams. It helped me learn the material. And I really like to be able to do that. And so that's helped me, I guess. It's, it's given me confidence to keep doing it because they say verbally in class, they like it. They write comments after the fact. It's something that really seems to stick with them that they associate with the class. And it's interesting when we were putting together a proposal for this and, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking if I'm an A student that scored pretty high on the individual exam, why would I even want to participate in the group exam? You know, and I see quite the opposite. I see my A students that are thinking, what did I get wrong? What did I miss? And and really wanting, even though they know their grade isn't going to go up that much with the second stage, they they want to be there. And what's nice is the B students, I can see them really striving to, to get higher as well. You know, what did I do wrong? Um, why did I overthink that question? And from the lab coordinator perspective, it's kind of nice for me to walk around and listen as well, because I get potential lab instructors from this as well. Just walking around and seeing how students teach other students and that student-centered learning that I see going on in these sessions. Yeah, we had a debate on if A students should maybe get a pass and that should be their incentive for getting an A on the individual exam. But what what I kind of settled on was nobody is really getting 100 on the individual exam. So there's always little things that they could approve on. And it, and it is kind of funny. Like, I, I think most of them would still come even if we did allow that because, and we all have students like this in our class. It's like, 92 is not good enough. I need that 100. If I can make that 100 by actively searching for those four questions, I know that I wasn't confident in answering that I'm going to do it. Yeah, that's what makes them a 92 student to begin with, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so, what's, what I can also see when I walk around is sometimes if a student scored even in the 70s or the 60s, a lot of times they know the material. When I hear them talking in the group, they know the material. So then it's like, okay, you just need to learn how to take a multiple choice exam. You're overthinking or you're, you know, I tell them physically cross off what you know not to be correct, you know, and so they learn little skills and strategies for a multiple choice exam, which hopefully they take to other classes as well then that are big lecture hall classes. What happens with the students who are at the bottom in the individual part? Do they, does it help them a lot or do you see their scores improve over the semester? It depends because there's a lot of different variables that go into it. Right. But um, I mean, as a whole, even though it's not counting for a huge percent of their grade, I mean, it probably comes out to like nine or 10% of their overall grade, the, the group exams. So it can help make the difference for some of them in terms of a letter grade. Uh, but you still have the same issues you have in, in big classes. I mean, if, if they attendance is bad, 
there's not much we can do about that just by having them show up for a group exam every three or four weeks. But as a, as a whole in the aggregate, I would say that by and large, it has been helpful. I mean, my, my DFQ rates have definitely dropped in my intersections. And it's not just because the group exam that's integrated. It's also because, yeah, you do see some steady progress from some of them through the, through the course of the semester. They may, not, they may not go from an F to a B student, but they may do just enough and learn just enough strategies to get through the course. So I'm thinking about this um, as a, like a calculus exam, which I know you don't teach, but I do. Um, so in a calculus exam, I have open-ended questions. And so if I tried this in that setting, if you were to try this in that setting, with open-ended questions, what would you grade it and give it back to them? Or do you give them the score, but obviously not the exam back? Cause if it's multiple choice, that doesn't make sense. Right. But um, do they get the score back? Or if you were going to do open-ended, would you give open-ended feedback back before the group exam? I, I wouldn't because then they tend to, I, I would think based on the literature that I've read related to second stage exams that then they just try to focus on memorizing your feedback instead of actively actively searching out the answers and learning the material themselves, which helps with, you know, retention and, and things like that. I, I actually used second stage exams once when I was an undergraduate student and it was in an upper level class with calculations and short answer questions. The way that our professor did it, which I felt like was pretty successful, was you did the individual exam and then the next class period again, you were in groups. But because the discussions are longer for short answer questions and things, he had us immediately go through the group exam and put IND or individual under questions we were confident in. And then we only discussed the ones in groups that we were unsure of. And that reduced the amount of things we had to discuss by like 50% or, or more, depending on, on the group you had and the, and the way the exam went among your, among your group. So I think something like that was, would be super helpful. That's another way, maybe if you're worried about Tuesday, Thursday taking too long, maybe you give them a 30 question exam where, you know, there's 20 kind of like softballs that you're tossing them. And most of the class is getting those right. You could also do something like that, even, even with objective exams. I think in physics, they do something like that. Like you were talking about Ross, where they just take a subset of the more challenging uh, questions and have them discuss and focus on those. You told me about feedback. You told me about how they also, react. They all basically say the second stage exam really helped them understand the material better and understand why I missed the problems I got wrong initially. Um, but yeah, there are so many comments about the second stage exam and all of them felt like it just made them, it was very beneficial and helped them retain the information better. So, you know, maybe just sitting there talking with colleagues or their peers in the class that they, they got a better understanding of it all. And sometimes other students can explain it better than we can, you know, certain concepts. And so that's kind of neat in that, you know. Yeah, I would say I would say that's a fair assessment that um, actually seeing them use the word understand, like not just I got a higher grade. Right. But I actually understand why this was the answer. I, I think that's been encouraging to see in some of the feedback, both both verbally and and in um, course evaluations. 
That's awesome. <laughs> Understand is so important. <laughs> the neat thing about weather and climate, which really makes it rewarding to teach, is that students take pictures of clouds or they come and they tell me, you know, hey, we have this hurricane coming. I explain to my roommate what's happening and how it started and where it's, you know, they understand the science better. They can watch the weather channel and, and listen to the broadcast meteorologist and know, you know, Hey, and, and so I tell them, you know, you experience weather every day, you will deal with weather every day for the rest of your lives. And so this, this is nice in that you can kind of put it all together. And I think sitting around talking with other students in the second stage is that first step to being able to communicate the science better, which is nice. Yeah, and I think in the I think in the discussions you don't know what they're gonna pick up. Like 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 I said, you're surprised sometimes. I think by what they discuss more. You know, I've had students get into discussions about like, you know, oh, I saw this related to an exam question that made me tell this family member to avoid this situation because of this cloud that I saw or what I saw on weather radar or things like that. Um, so, yeah, you just have no idea what's going to come up in their discussions beyond just answering that question itself. There's nothing more relevant than weather, right? Like, I, I would think that going in, they'd be like, oh, yeah, this is really applicable to my life. But it sounds like they definitely come out with that idea. Yeah, that's kind of the goal. For, that's what I tell them at the beginning of class that, um, you know, you may love this class or you may hate this class by the end. I, I hope it's more the first one than the second one, but that I usually tell them, you know, I hope no matter what, that by the end of this class, that when you walk out your door, you look up at the sky differently than when you walked into the class. I actually had a comment about that on my latest evaluation, that they look at the sky differently now, which is very cool. Okay, so is there anything else that we've missed talking about that you'd like to add? I think the one thing we do a little differently, Ava, you have them fill out one common group exam, yes. right? And I, I have them do their own individual Scantron. So you, I think either approach works. I mean, most of the time they'll answer the same thing as the group, but I do have a few. I sometimes have some students that are more the A types that, are like, I'm not going, I am confident in this. And sometimes it works for them and sometimes it doesn't, it depends. But I, I let them all fill out their own Scantron if they do have a disagreement and can't come to a consensus. And we've seen group exam scores. They're not always 100. I mean, they range pretty much from mid 80s and sometimes you'll get a few group scores in the hundreds, but uh, very rarely. It's still kind of in the 90s, low 90s, I would say on average. Yeah, I'd say the median falls, yeah, somewhere in that 92 to 94-ish mm -hmm. range. But yeah, there's there's a select handful of groups usually that, that score 100. Do you ever have a student who, this happens sometimes, I will be giving an exam and then a student is like waiting out of the classroom and I leave the classroom with the exam and the student says, I couldn't figure this out, but I figured it out. <laughs> so do you ever have a student leave the first stage and they're like, oh, I know I'm going to get it right the next time. Yes, definitely. And and they definitely certain questions stick out and they think about until they get to their group and they all sit and discuss it. 
And sometimes I realize I have some pretty badly worded questions and I need to go back and, and change the question or, or there actually is an answer in the answer choice that could possibly be correct. And so, you know, you, you definitely go in and revise. But yes, we, we do have those students or they just at the end of class, I just have to know, you know, this is the one I was stuck on. What, did I get it right? And I'd be like, well, we'll discuss it during the group exam, but you'll know by the end of the group exam what the correct answer is. That's funny to, yeah, it, that's part of what I find funny to listen to, too, is because cause I would be like that when I took exams, like, oh, I know I, yep, I definitely missed this one, you know, and I'd go look it up or whatever. But this, yeah, this gives them the opportunity to correct it. But during the group exams, you'll hear the, ah, oh, I had that one circled and then I changed it. I knew it or things like that. <laughs> I feel like that happens pretty consistently. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. You have been listening to The Engaging Podcast. I'm Brandy Dolishal. This will be my last episode of The Engaging Podcast. I would like to thank everyone involved in the production of this podcast, particularly Brandon Farinfort, our editor, as well as those who have volunteered their time to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for listening. The Engaging Podcast will continue with a new host for season F22. Look for it where you find your podcasts.